Guys, here is Lenore Zan, a.k.a. Rogue. It's Cal Dodd here, voice of Wolverine from X-Men, the animated series, Bub. I want you to join me at The Uncanny Experience, the ultimate destination for X-Men fans just like you. Where you will become a mutant student at Xavier's. And be able to explore the school campus, shop the vendor hall, and meet the creators and stars of the X-Men universe. There'll be panels, parties, immersive activities all throughout the historic mansion. Whether you're a fan of the comics or the movies or the animated series, you'll find something to love. This is Chris Claremont. I'm looking forward to seeing you all at the Uncanny Experience. It's going to be one hell of a ride, Bob. I bet it will be uncanny. Get your tickets now, sugar, at the uncannyexperience.com. Welcome, everyone, to the X Factor Files podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm Philip, and we have a very special guest. Scott? Uh, yeah, I am uh, I'm Scott, uh, Mr. Scott Free on social media. Um, if you follow me, I am so, so sorry. <laughs> um, you've been just tossing out gold recently with Clinton Choir and uh, really educating the masses on the benefits of Quentin being in our lives. Yeah, um, you know, I figure uh, he's he's a he's an underappreciated character who should be shoved into people's faces at uh, every single opportunity uh, when he's not on screen. People should be going, "Where's Quentin?" Um, and yeah, you know, getting the word out there it lets me relive my uh, childhood edginess. So, um, and yeah, if anything, Quentin Choir and I are both proof. That you can be a dick in middle school and then you grow up to be a dick as an adult. <laughs> oh. I mean, I was wondering what happened to him in the current Krakoa era, and then they brought him back as old man Quentin. So maybe they'll do uh, another line of comics. We had old man Logan and old man Hawkeye. Oh. So why not old man Quentin and his adventures being cantankerous? Yeah, uh, I mean, we've also got old lady Laura right now in the main book, and you know, it's it's a it's a great time for elderly versions of uh, aughts characters. So. And uh, and compared to the aughts, we're going into ancient history with this episode, and uh, uh, an issue that you're very passionate about with X Men Annual Number Two. Yeah, back in the uh, the dark days of 1993, uh, which, you know, was was an interesting era uh, for the X-Men, just sort of like post-Claremont, but like not like too post-Claremont, but very definitively uh, Fabian Nicieza by that point. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, X-Men Annual number two, um, I... If anyone follows me or has heard me rant on other podcasts or this podcast, uh, I'm a huge fan of Pyro. And um, this is a very strange, at times, uh, Pyro-centric uh, issue uh, featuring the Empyrean, who you will never hear about again. And it, um, he has his own island. He does have his own island. Um, and I'll cover that once we get to the end of the main story, because... In these episodes, I'm trying to update people on what happens with these brand new characters. Brand new characters from 93. Where are they now? Yeah, most of them nowhere. Um, so when did you first read this issue, Scott? Um, I read this probably back when I was in high school. Um, not so early, you know, in the, in the, the aughts, um, I didn't obviously read this when it came out because i was about three years old and um you know I was not a precocious child prodigy uh with <laughs> the, the stuff um but yeah I, I read it probably in um in high school and it's it's an interesting issue um within the context of like the legacy virus and like what the legacy virus represents 
um you know like spoiler alert it's a very heavy-handed hiv aids metaphor mm -hmm. um which as like a young gay man is very um like you read it and you're like oh shit this is about um aids and yeah like, it's crisis and uh nicieza uh handles it really uh well i think generally across all of x-men stuff he does a lot with the legacy virus uh that's some other writers <laughs> i felt uh don't really handle um too well and i think fabian actually does a really good job with it and uh, fabian nicieza was everywhere at marvel at this time i mean he really had an era where he had this um new warriors oh yeah nova yeah. as an outcrop of new warriors um he had a lot of titles going on and um taking over x-men after claremont is a heavy lift um because of what was attached to the claremont era like he was around forever and he put so many things into place and i think as an example, this annual shows what he could do with those established characters and really lend his own voice to them and take them probably in a different direction than Claremont would have. Yeah, um, particularly with like the Brotherhood and um, some other characters, it it's an interesting. He he really he really does a lot to take the X-Men into the 90s. I mean, obviously, you know, Claremont is obviously on the book until 1991, but the real break is obviously when Claremont leaves and the Mirror Island saga wraps up, and then you have the, you know, the Jim Lee, Claremont issues one, Claremont's on through issue three, I think. I think so. Yeah. And Nicieza is really the sort of the start of, or as I've always seen, he's really the start of like the 90s X-Men um with that sort of break with claremont and you see a lot of like his recurring themes in here uh including you know the legacy virus hangs over the entire 90s of the x-men mm -hmm. um and really until the resolution with colossus you know spoiler for 20 some odd year old comics uh with colossus taking the cure and dying and everything and that's only in 2000 2001 um so this is really encapsulates encapsulates a lot of the um, the themes of the '90s, so to speak. Yeah, and then the if you're a listener of the future episode where we do X Force um, with Chad, he also points out that Nisiya handles metaphor and social commentary really well um, and really subtly. Where you go through it like, oh yeah, that makes sense, and then you start thinking about what other things are happening. You're like, oh. Like, well done. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I I love Claremont. We wouldn't be here probably having a podcast discussion yeah. about Claremont if, if it were not for Claremont. But Claremont has a tendency sometimes to sort of hammer you over the head with things. Um, he also is also really into, like, problematic body swapping, but that's a whole <laughs> podcast. Uh, and Nicieza handles some of these themes a little more subtly. Uh, which I think I really appreciate. And like you said, he, he's all over the place in this era. And it's really just like mind blowing now when we're in an era of like 12 issue runs or whatever that like the New Warriors have like a hundred some odd issues for a team that is, you know, with respect to Night Thrasher, Sea uh, Listers at, yeah. at best. Yeah, like um, he he was able to take raw material and tell compelling stories with it. And um really give the characters personalities and make people invested like even marvel in the boom period of the 90s would not have allowed a writer to go on a hundred plus issues on the title if it wasn't selling and not resonating so which is odd at least from my outside perspective reading that one new warriors and you're like oh maybe one day when they grow up they'll be avengers but right now they're superheroing after algebra class like yeah, they seem very yeah. young. So, what do you say we dive into this issue, fellows? Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay, we're opening on um, a Flor a Floridian island. Um, Day Spring would love this. Um, in Big Pine Keys, 
and someone's emerging. I do not recognize a lot of these characters. Yes, Scott, who's emerging? Uh, it is the uh, Crimson Commando, um, who is, and this is a little, little bit of a tangent, uh, he's a character created by Claremont. Um, he pops up in round issue 170-ish of Uncanny with um, his two roommates, Stonewall and Super Saber. And um, they live in upstate New York. They're golden age heroes who are kind of sort of parodies of like that sort of Roy Thomas, like invaders, all-star squadron trend in the eighties of creating these um, posts, these sort of golden age characters who are post golden age. They live in upstate New York. They hunt people for sport um, because the government wouldn't let them hunt communists and they're mutants um and storm fights them she gets away and then mystique and val cooper recruit them for freedom force that's right oh, yeah. val cooper. Crimson. And, but yeah. but crimson commando has been 95 here i mean he he has the ponytail um which to his credit looks gray so and, he, and he's a cyborg um because you can't keep like a golden age bitch down he's just <laughs> just replace those parts yeah he he has he has a very strong um he's kind of like the comedian from Watchmen, except without the sort of like nihilistic humor he's this guy who went through the war uh it's implied that they did stuff for the government in the 50s and then were pushed out and like he's just he's a he's a jaded like killer for the government um and he's still doing it here now as a cyborg he's going after the brotherhood of evil mutants they are doing some recon and he's like i know three of you but not the woman and it's demanda martini yes fantasia is here um uh, and the other brotherhood we have toad pyro blob yeah not not the strongest era for uh the the brotherhood um this is this is toad's brotherhood uh they're around briefly um fantasia's great she's only in about 12 issues um she's a physicist there's the really famous infamous panel of her just like in a bikini reading a book that just says like astrophysics um because that's what you'd read at the beach so what are her powers? I, there's a reference made that she has an EM field around her, but I don't know what she does. She's she's kind of like a poor man's Magneto or Polaris. She can manipulate like magnetic fields and like energy fields, um, but she's not as powerful as um, as like Magneto or Polaris. But okay. In a bunch of the Brotherhood stories, she's basically just like a Polaris sort of like stand-in. She's got similar powers and she's very angry and yeah. Okay. So there's some history behind why this attack is happening. So Commando, he says there's no more Crimson because all the Crimson has been bled out of me. Um uh, something happened before here where um, the Brotherhood was in the Mideast and um, Crimson Commando and Avalanche yes. abandoned them. And um, there, there's some hurt feelings. There's some beef to be had. And um, Commando is trying to say, like, I have died for what happened there. And then we see the brand new character of Empyrean come out in a, 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 kimono? a, a kimono um i'm not sure what this outfit is um he had it's that rupaul main stage madonna challenge where everyone wore a kimono <laughs> a little bit <laughs> uh to just sort of expand on the the pyro and avalanche of it all and the crimson commando yeah they were on a mission in iraq 
uh, with Freedom Force, and they were supposed to retrieve a German scientist or who was working for the Iraqis. And, you know, they, they keep it vague because it's comics, but the implication is that he's working on like chemical or nuclear weapons for the Iraqi government. And they're supposed to pull him, they're supposed to retrieve him because he'd been captured by the Iraqis and forced to do this. Um, they get really roughed up by these Iraqi superhumans, and uh, Crimson Commando is very heavily injured. And Pyro goes, well, it looks like we're not going to get out. So he just burns the scientist alive. And Avalanche is like horrified. And Pyro's just like, well, those, you know, those are our orders where he's not supposed to fall into enemy hands. And like Pyro and Avalanche, who have been best friends <laughs> uh, up to this point, this is like the break in their relationship. And Avalanche is like, all right, I'm going to take Commando out of here because he's dying. And Blob and Pyro end up getting captured by the Iraqis, and something they get out. So good for them. But yeah, um, um, Imperian is like, "Oh well, your friends are here, so we're all gonna work together." It it's giving a very specific vibe of like, "Oh, it's cute that you're fighting, but pull it together. It's time for dinner. Wash your hands. Sit down." Yeah, don't break my stuff. Yeah, get in the house, kids. Yeah. <laughs> we then cut to Xavier's school, Xavier's school. I guess it can be pronounced either way. Xavier. 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 Yeah. Um, There's a hunky Generation X style banshee. There is. And uh, this, banshee. this is where Beast and um, Moira are hard at work in the lab. Because that's what they do. And Professor X is there. And so is Banshee for reasons. He's known for being a scientist. Yeah. Um, He's there for moral support from Moira and the occasional inspiration. Um, they're working on the legacy virus and investigating it because they're tracking where hotspots are, where it's popping up. And they have a the panel where they discuss it, like they're very shadowy figures with these bright green lights on a holographic globe. And it seems like a, like a powerful image of like, we're trying to get this under control, but these keep flaring everywhere all the time. Yeah. Um, magic is already dead. Oh. Yeah. So uh, there are real implications to this virus that's just spreading. I think Jamie dies, or Madrox dies of it too uh or does somehow yeah isn't it a is it a dupe who i this, this i'm is, sure it's a dupe I, yeah this, this there's a convenient backdoor built into jamie madrox and it is always a dupe rather than madrox prime yeah it's always yeah. it's always an evil dupe or yeah a religious dupe a religious dupe um but then we um you know, we we see, you know, Hank sort of in the shadows and then it cuts to the danger room where, uh, speaking of Claremont body swaps, uh, it's now uh, Ninja Psylocke uh, training with um, Jubilee and Gambit. And if you really wanted like a more 90s X-Men like trio, you couldn't beat Ninja Psylocke, Jubilee and Gambit standing around talking to each other. Well, Gambit is smoking a ciggy in the danger room. Yeah. Oh, Rogue's there too, and Rogue. But um, yeah, they're they're training. Betsy, uh, sorry, Psylocke, um, going, and they fight. And Gambit says, "Oh, Sherry," and he's throwing cards. And it's it's a it's a great sort of like spread. And Jubilee gets stabbed in the head. Yeah, because yeah. she has to learn how to fend for herself um and you know betsy or sorry psylocke loves to announce you know how her psychic blade is forged from a fragment of her telepathic abilities and you know it's the focused totality of her psychic energy or whatever claremont always has her say yeah <laughs> um so you know there's a couple pages of um them in the training room and it, it's you know it's it's a bunch of cool action sequences uh it sort of ends when rogue appears out of nowhere and slams into uh 
Psylocke, which, you know, puts her down. Um, oh, yeah. Scott and Jean observing from up above and this dialogue about this is where I get it, confused it, it, because yes. I don't know too much of these characters, but at some point I had known that Betsy and Quanon were the same person or like one personality in the other's body. And now there are two of them. So they And they look super similar in this book. That that is the confusing part. And so instead of like two being divided by two to give you one you've got two being divided by two to give you two halves so like each of them seems to have half of each other and it's a very strange internal conflict that's happening of like is it me is it Quanon? is it me is it betsy and yeah. one of them now goes by revanche yes uh i see you know i was getting even i was getting confused and i've read this a million times or it's like in the danger room it's revanche here it's betsy in her asian ninja body um and like yeah you just have to to roll with it um i thought betsy was english and Quanin is from east asia yes um there claremont has they go through the siege perilous she ends up betsy ends up a prisoner of the mandarin uh inexplicably in hong kong and the hand transforms her into an asian woman and then makes her an assassin um it's it's confusing nicieza um said it retroactively he would not he accidentally created revanche um he thought the implication was that claremont had put betsy in someone else's body Mm. like shape changing her and he was like yeah i missed that issue so <laughs> there were two of them running around and it's just like you just got to go with it <laughs> um revanche who um i don't know if we'll ever cover her again in this book or in this podcast this book yes but i can't see revanche really coming up um especially not in the, any other 1993 annual um yeah, there's just so much angst though about it. There is. And um she and Jean are having a moment. Um like delving into Betsy's past. Yes. Uh, and um it it's too painful for Betsy to relive. So Jean gets booted out of her head. Um it's about Betsy not feeling like she's good enough. I feel it's inferiority that is cropping up here within her personality. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's confusing it, it, and doesn't really play a large part in this story. No. Um, it, if if you're you're really interested, go read some of the X-Men stuff from this era where like Betsy hits on Scott and it's like oh they try to do like a Betsy Scott Gene love triangle that really goes nowhere. Um not yeah. as successful as the Wolverine Gene Scott triangle. No, but it makes the current Rachel and Betsy pairing really funny because oh, no. she was trying to there's a famous or infamous panel where she shows up and like licks Scott's face and it's just like you were trying to get it on with Rachel's dad okay <laughs> and now you're with Rachel <laughs> um so uh, just like other I would argue other Nicieza annuals from this year this does its job of giving you a taste of what the main stories are are within the ongoing book and trying to lead new readers into finding out more so here we see Gina's inconsolable. She's having a sad girl moment because she doesn't understand how Betsy can live being like half of one person and half of another in one body. Yeah. It's an, it, I'm a stand for character development moment, so I, I like it. I don't know what's happening, but I, I know that I like it. Um, or the potential that's there. Yeah, I I think um, I think Anthony Oliveira said it best, where it's just the '90s is just vibes, and sometimes you just gotta go with the, with the 
um we, we we then after the betsy angst we cut back to florida um and the main story and this this is really um it's pyro and avalanche on the balcony at the Empyrean's um estate and uh this this is a really powerful scene where it's pyro and avalanche um who are you know former best friends and i'm doing air quotes around best friends um and like avalanche is like i'm sorry about I'm sorry johnny about leaving you in the middle east and pyro says i'm not going to pretend it didn't hurt dom and here i thought we were mates and all and um they they talk and pyro comes out to avalanche as being legacy virus positive um and like there's really no way to frame like the scene is very very um gay to put it yes. like put it put it put it bluntly um like this is these are two guys who used to hook up or were a couple and now one of them has um hiv or in this mm -hmm. case the legacy virus and they're um you know talking about it. and then it cuts in inside and you know blob blob makes a uh a homophobe she goes you know are they kissing yet while he's sitting there eating fried chicken and um fantasia goes why fred are you jealous and it's like everybody kind of knows like yeah what's going on here um empyrean comes in and we start to get to know what his powers are and he he seems to be able to inflict pain or take it away or, or inflict slash take away yeah he's like one or the other he's chastising blob for being an absolute asshole and um he's like here you want to feel what oh the legacy virus feels like just a little bit but like amplified worldwide here you go um toad gets mad but no one is paying attention to toad and empyrean is like you know it's necessary for people like mr dukes like blob and his attitude to really make this virus a reality like this is what it is this is what these people are going through that are um legacy virus positive He's got this, these green beams and green light that comes out of his eyes. So it's like a good artistic way of sh shooting onto his power. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, as he's standing there in his rope that is coming undone, like, it's very, serving some very 90s. Like, he, is he on Baywatch? It, it's, it's very, like, it, it always gives me very much, like, older gay guy in, like, Palm Springs, just, like, just... Here's the robe. The robe might open up. You don't know. Because <laughs> um, when we see him earlier in the robe, he's wearing like his uniform or something. Yep. Uniform's gone now. It's just like hairy chest, hands out, the robe's starting to blow open. And like, okay, I mean, you're going to see a little yeah. bit in. Um, we learn sort of what he's doing and what he can do. So he has his island as a haven for those who are positive with the legacy virus to come and you know live out their final days basically in relative comfort and peace yeah away from uh, scrutiny and um hate yes and he goes you know i i found this island refuge for those in pain is necessary because of people with attitudes like mr dukes hearing his venomous thoughts in regards to mr petros avalanches friendship with saint john or sinjin irritated me more than i should have let it and it's like yeah, yeah. His friendship. uh and then we see the um you know he says those mutants afflicted with this spreading disease must consider my island my empyrean a bluer slice of heaven on earth which is the title of the uh the issue um and then smash cut to the dea is oh yeah they're they're there yeah um Amanda. henry peter gyrick yes totally up in this business because why wouldn't he be oh, that's how you say it i just said garage oh 
yeah, I think, I think it's Gyrick. Gyrick, yeah. Um, regardless, um, he can just fall into the ocean. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, so he is trying to figure out why these scientists are there on the island. Um, that they're um, experts in viral infections and um, eugenics? and eugenics, and that's where it gets a, a little gross. <laughs> where you're like, are these former Nazis? Um, I had I yeah. definitely had that thought um, because they yeah. have very Germanic names. Yeah, yeah, Doctor Doctor Kleinbaum and Doctor Alter, and yeah. it's like, and he Kleinbaum in particular in his picture is very old, and it's just like. Yeah, these these might be friends of uh uh you know Nazi Mr. Sinister or whatever. Yeah. So, um, um is it here or is it later that he's like the people I sent in I will probably not hear from again, but I'm still getting the information that I need. Or is this the Fantasia's giving off an EM signal so we're getting a little bit of information, but not a whole lot? I think it's that one where yeah. there's just a little signal um as the blackbird is then flying through and they're trying to do an information download on Empyrean, whose name is Jonathan Chambers, which I got really confused because Chamber, his first name is Jono. So I'm like, it's so close. And yet very different, very different and not our angsty, English. Um, yeah. our English no neck fire. Um. So we got a lot of exposition on why the X-Men are there, who this person is. There's a lot of pop bubbles with just an information download as they are being presented with an information download. And uh, um, Jonathan Chambers wrote a book that really tried to attempt to um, bridge the gap between mutantum and humankind. And it was seen more as like, uh, trying to reconcile both populations with one another. Uh, so he's not entirely bad. Like He's not that far from Professor X. So there's a, a mystery surrounding what's going on on the island. Well, we, and we, we learn in the exposition dump that like his, his father, Chambers' father, was publicly known as a mutant. Um, he was... Uh, they, they don't say exactly what his power was, but he aged rapidly. So there's an image of him as an old man. And um, I believe it's it's either Scott or Beast says the hologram shows him at age 38. And he looks like he's like 90. Mm. Um, so to try to, you know, they, they don't know, obviously, that Chambers is a mutant, but they are aware that his father was a mutant. And they think, oh, he is trying to bridge um, the gap even though Beast is somewhat dismissive of his book, calling it pop psychology and making a crack about who he was on. Oh, no, Scott says he was hit. He was on Geraldo and got hit by a chair on Geraldo. Um, for those of you too young to remember, Geraldo Rivera had a talk show. Yeah, he used to be just entertainment and not a complete shit, much like maybe a former president. No. <laughs> Um, considering he's a or, fan of or Hank McCoy, uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> and there's also something about the father dying on mysteriously as well. Like, Empyrean came into his wealth under slightly shady circumstances from the car accident that killed his father. Yeah, and he he purchased the island with money from his book, and he supposedly he purchased it from uh, AIM, uh, Advanced Idea mechanics you know which is modox groupies um yeah modox modox often affiliated with aim yeah so there were a lot of bee catchers on this island prior yes. to um main export of honey so the x-men are concerned because they just found out that on this island the brotherhood is there and you know the brotherhood is there there's got to be trouble there's got to be trouble so we are going to um butt in and do what we do best, which is it, make a mess. It, yes, yes. Um, yeah, they they arrive, and the Imperian is there uh, to greet them. Um, and he, I can't tell if this is like smug or whatever. But he's just like Doctor McCoy. Your fame precedes you. 
uh, he goes, and these associates and your associates. And um, I don't know if that's like him being dismissive of Hank or it's just like, oh, a, you know, fellow man of science, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the team is split up. So we have uh, Rogue Cyclops and Hank going up publicly to be like, hey, how's it going? And then behind the scenes, we have Gambit and the two halves of Psylocke. Um, and the two halves of Ravalsh. Yes. Um, sneaking up, trying to figure out what's going on. And Gambit is um, not being entirely sneaky because I think he's smoking a cigarette while he's creeping around. Um, I feel like there isn't there a line in here too from a period of like, it would have been nice for you to have like sent word that you were coming, but since you're here, I will be a good host. Um, I was getting that vibe off of him of like you're you weren't invited why why yeah but come in i'll be a good host and give you tea yes they found an exhaust port uh very star wars of them to find an exhaust port to get into empyrean's empyrean and it just sounds dirty <laughs> um so they're creeping in while the others go to tea and um they hang quotes the book at empyrean it's like oh very good he's done his homework yes and um they empyrean cuts to the chase pretty quickly that you want to know why the brotherhood is here right um and that's about it he doesn't give an answer to why the brotherhood is there but then we cut to the brotherhood confronting um the three who are sneaking in in the sub-basement labs yeah and i mean the implication from also from empyrean's text is that he's aware that they're trying to sneak into the sub-basement because he's like oh yeah the brotherhood's down in the sub-basement as well um let's go see what they're up to uh, pyro creates a great flame monster um the art is real fun for that flame monster yeah yeah um and the um they're fighting uh betsy jams her psychic knife through fantasia's brain Uh, which is rude she was fantasia just standing off to the side she wasn't even (laughs) that involved just watching and uh knife to the head but um eventually you know beasts Beast Rogue and Cyclops eventually show up and um they and they take the elevator down and Cyclops, rather than waiting for the doors to open, blasts them open. <laughs> yeah. Cyclops, uh, Cyclops. Little little light property damage. Um and like a- Avalanche here and, and Crimson Commando are with the um the Brotherhood. Um this is a weird era where Avalanche is wearing a full face mask, but it is Avalanche, uh, who Rogue just shows up and just decks. Um, well, it's a good thing he can still take a punch really well, is what she says. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's a battle scene. I really like this one page that has so many cubes on it to show the different moments of battle. And Empyrean, like, shutting the whole battle down. Like, it's all the characters that have Empyrean's green psychic powers over their eyes. And at the same time, we get the Gyric boat, the DEA, is picking up the signals. This battle is happening, so they're like, there are so many mutant signals happening right now. So it's a great way to tie in a lot of what's going on in this story. Yeah, and, you know, then... I, I always find this bit funny because like the X-Men have basically barged into this guy's house and then they have like the audacity where Scott's just like what's really going on here and it's like well first of all you broke into his house um, and second of all now you're gonna like lecture them on, <laughs> um, on his, his palliative care center yeah and like, this the- place is a haven a refuge a hospital like- and, and- Pyro rips off his mask and you see like the legacy um you know the sores and other stuff that's all over like his neck mm-hmm. and you know 
he uh he says he's the you know the first first patient there and with the Imperium's power to drain mutant powers le- legacy causes your powers to develop out of control um and basically overwhelms mutant and they die so the Imperium is draining the energy off of these mutants who have legacy to sort of ease their their pain because the power surges are uh just like agony and um you know hank is just like well don't you realize that he's basically just like using you and with the sort of hank mccoy self-righteousness mm-hmm. uh, and you know don't, don't you know that he's he's like he's an energy vampire he's a succubus um, yeah he's a succubus and, and uh, empyrean did take this opportunity to change again yes. so He's had his third costume change. He now has a headpiece. Um, Demanda loves a dumb headpiece, and this is perhaps one of the dumbest. Um, and uh, it's it, very regal, though. Yeah, sets him up as his king of his own little island. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, he's he's like, well, you know, I am endeavoring to find a cure. And, you know, how else are you supposed to find a cure without studying it? And, you know, again, Beast is very, Beast and Cyclops are very much like, they're trying to lecture uh, Pyro. And, you know, he's like, Pyro's like, I'm the one who's dying. I'm the one who's in pain. And like, I'm sorry that you don't like this. Like Hank says, uh, he's using you, Sinjin. And like Pyro yells back at him and I'm using him, McCoy. Yeah. yeah. I'm the one who's dying here. Can I at least be given the bloody dignity of choosing how I'm going to die? Um, and Re- Revanche is the voice of reason and she's just like, we're leaving. This is not our fight. This is not our situation. And she reveals that she also has a legacy. And the team is stunned and it i who's hugging whom in that panel is it um, it it's it's uh Psylocke hugging revanche that's what i thought after it seems to me how like some sort of tension between the two of them where like it does rather appeal to you doesn't it quanin like is that saying like you'll be happy once I'm dead or I think I have a hard time with their dynamic and figuring out what's happening with those two I think this is just where you go with a vibe that they hugged um and Empyrean is like you know Revanche is right um the choice of how one dies must be made whenever possible solely by oneself so he's like yeah my uh, I'm helping them. I have some ul- ulterior motives, um, but I what I get out of it is also helping. Like it's a symbiotic relationship that he has with the people who are coming to him for help. Yeah, um, there, there's very much from you know like the sort of gay perspective where you know he is. He's he gets he gets something from Pyro. Pyro in turn gets something from him. And it's not it's not quite like sugar daddy sort of situation, but it is there's the implication that like Empyrean is getting something out of this, and the energy vampire stuff does have a very kind of like sexual aspect in certain certain ways. Um so it, it is an interesting, and you know, like Scott and Hank are both disgusted by it. And Pyro is like, don't you see, I am getting something out of this too. Like you're coming in here and talking to me, like I'm not aware of what the situation is. Like I am aware that this guy is an energy vampire. I'm aware of what is going on. I'm an adult making this decision on my own. Um, and it it, it really gets across some of like the um 
don't say hypocrisy, but some of like the self-righteousness of the X-Men where like Scott here is like, your speech may have worked well below, but you're gonna have to polish it up for the authorities. And it's like, well, technically Empyrean, you, you broke into his house. Yeah. You, you started a fight and you think he's the one who's gonna have the issue with the authorities? The DEA are landing in a helicopter and um imperium's like do you have a warrant and they're like nah we don't uh just vibes yep (laughs) um and uh, guy rick is like well you're holding people against their will and uh imperium's like why don't you ask our our guests cyclops are you being held here um, what did you find for the others? And Cyclops is like, no, like the people are here because they want to be here. And um Gyrick is he's more after the this was an aim facility. The government invested a ton of cash into this. You think we're just going to let it slip free? And um Imperium's like, uh, do you want me to leak to the media that you're basically a poser and you came here illegally? Because I can. Do you want that? Um, and he throws out Oprah. Like, he throws the Oprah card on the table. Like, I'm sure Oprah would love to hear about this. And Gyrick's like, fine, I'm intimidated by Oprah. I'm leaving. Like, we don't have to go that far. Also, you threw Phil Donahue in my face. And I don't think I could handle that either. So, um, he looks so sinister while he's saying all that. It, but he wasn't being evil. Yeah, the inter- he was standing up to the evil dude. Yeah, and we'll get into that after we wrap up the issue review and we talk about where Empyrean goes after this okay. because I have some feelings. Um, just to wrap up the issue. Um, there's not a whole lot in terms of development like there's still cyclops and imperium back and forth where cyclops is uh, proselytizing and imperium's like get the fuck off my island like what gives you the right um he he invites imperium invites revanche to stay and mm-hmm. she's like well i choose to face the deadly virus fighting all the way not stagnating and waiting for death's open door and it's like okay well that's very very rude to like pyro and the other yeah who've, who've chosen this way and pyro is standing right there yeah yeah um and we close the story with um, everyone flying away. Um, and Revanche is like, you know, I'm going to persevere. And I try to make whatever life I have left something to remember. And if I'm successful, something that no one will ever forget. That's it. Then, then we get a beast backup story. Where he's falling through an elevator. It's what we always wanted. Um, it, it's a silly bee story. And um, there's not much to it. I I need to look at the credits. Ah, it's um, Scott Lobdell and Ian Churchill. So Ian Churchill did a lot of good work um, with the X-Men like, I want to say eight ish years after this issue ian churchill was the regular penciler for a while okay um but this must have been one of his very early forays yeah. beast looks fun but i must admit i don't remember much of why he was falling through <laughs> yeah. an elevator um yeah yeah no uh it, it yeah i was gonna say i and you know labdell is at this point is on generation x um and you know is along with Nicieza probably the biggest X-Men writer of this um era and Peter David um, mm-hmm. um so we don't really need to cover this backup story if you want a fun little beast romp look in this annual but overall it doesn't mean a whole lot Empyrean himself 
only appears a handful of times after this. Um, I have to look at my notes right here. So um, he's in X-Men Unlimited number two, but only on a screen. Like he only appears on a view screen. And his only other four appearances are in free comics that were given out in Hardy's children's meals. What? Yes. Um, I had to track these down because, of course, they're not on any service. Like, you can't read these without actually owning them. Like, and like, like time gliders or something? It's the time gliders. Yeah. And um, Empyrean is made out to be a villain in it, which really, really? surprised me. Like, this annual set him up to be like his heart is in the right place like Like his method it's neutral good like his methods are maybe a little questionable to some people but also everyone who's there is opting in and knows what they're getting themselves into um and here there's a time glider aspect um where beast is trying to build a time glider to go back in time to prevent the legacy virus from ever happening. And Empyrean sends the Brotherhood off to steal the time glider for evil. Uh, that basically, it, for bad. Um, and at the end of this four-issue little arc... Um, tiny little books. In, in these tiny little books... Um, he uh, jumps on or he's pushed onto a time glider and is sent back to prehistoric times um, where there's a dinosaur um, menacing him. What? And that's how Empyrean ends. He's back in like 65 million BC. And he still exists in the Marvel Universe. He's just way back in time. Um, Someone should retrieve him. Yes, I mean personally, I would love to see more of Empyrean. I think he's an intriguing character. He's he's definitely he's he's an intriguing character for this era when a lot of these villainous characters, you know, with respect to some of his writers, don't have a lot of depth. Um, you know, this is the era of like like we saw with Crimson Commando, where they're like, they're cyborgs with, you know, gun arms, and then there's guns that come out of the guns, and it's like, this is a character who does actually have a lot of, like, like depth beneath the surface, and I just think it's funny that he gets, you know, his ultimate end is in a Hardy's uh, comic book where he probably gets eaten by a dinosaur. Um, um, and it's Ben Robb who wrote them. Uh, and I posted the picture and tagged him in it. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, actually, you wrote like a pretty compelling story. Like, I'm sure editorial is like, here's your here's your villain. Like, get rid of him. We don't want him anymore. Um, and this was like in 1995. So um, it was a couple years after the annual that um, Ben picked up this character and sort of the moment in time from this annual and extended it a bit and then just dumped the character off like it's so bizarre the fate of this character like it's not that like some of these characters where he never appeared again he appeared again in a children's meal and then was just totally written off in a comic that most people will never ever read um especially nowadays like no one is going to pick this up except for people like me who are like i really want to read more about Empyrean. It, it it the whole the whole imperial it's it's really interesting in the context of um you know like like pyro who started out you know burn intended burn and claremont intended pyro to be gay he's a flamboyant romance novelist who chain smokes through a long cigarette holder he's got a very like noel coward sort of of a doll energy early on and you know it's it's really interesting where like the two most prominent victims of the legacy virus are Ilyana, um who's the innocent child and then pyro who is like the sexually promiscuous whatever very openly gay guy mm-hmm. and it's like and you know I, not to get way off topic but 
Exodus shows up around this time as well, and he's recruiting people to come to Avalon, and he tries to recruit Fantasia, and Pyro is specifically told he cannot come to Avalon, and Exodus says to him, you would have been welcome, but you're tainted. Ooh. And it's it's very much the implication that Pyro gets, you know, like very much in that sort of 80s, 90s moral panic about HIV, or it's like, well, Pyro gets it because he's a bad gay. And, you know, Ilyana is a virtuous child who, you know, got this out of no reason, but Pyro got it because he's a promiscuous, you know, yep. gay man. And it's like the 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 Empyrean of it all continues that sort of theme in a very sort of like gay context where the Empyrean is like, these people got this of no no fault of their own, and I'm trying to help them um live with it mm -hmm. and and die with some dignity. And that's sort of why like the revanche thing at the end always is sort of like a sour note for me, where she's just like, well, I'm not going to sit here and just like um you know, wait to like die. And it's just like, well, you know, you're kind of not giving any of these people like dignity and, mm -hmm. you know, by treating them that way. You know, it, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, it's a powerful issue when you put it in the sort of like the broader context of like, like legacy. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we're releasing this episode um, to cap off pride month as well, because I think you've brought up, so many good points about um really the history and if we think about it it it's not so far in the past this was written only 30 years ago yeah. and um i think a lot of people um rightly so celebrate pride and um celebrate their identity and it's important for us to remember what came before and why we should be proud and why we have the ability to be proud um and a lot of that stems back to the 90s and before, and that's why we have a gap in terms of our queer elders as well, where a lot of them were wiped out by the real-life equivalent to the legacy virus. And um, it's good for us to remind ourselves that comics are also a powerful lens for talking about social issues just like this. And... Um, I think Nicieza did a wonderful job weaving it in and creating a compelling character that I bought Hardy's comics to read more about. Um, and I'm surprised he, being Nicieza, um, we talked about this with Chad a little in one of our episodes where he sprinkles in things just like Claremont did. And I think that Nicieza just didn't have the time to revisit some of the things that he had planted. Claremont had a decade plus to play yeah. with things that he had planted and Nisi is a didn't and yeah. I'd be interested if I ever meet Fabian to ask him about Imperium and be like did you ever want to go back to that um because this doesn't feel like a shoehorned annual where it's like oh all the writers in the room you all have to create a new character this is your charge it's the editorial mandate um because we talked about this in our new warriors episode where it was like part four he didn't even create a new character for the annual it was uh, he created a few issues before so he was already flouting convention yeah. and it seems like he took the assignment seriously but also crafted it to what he was already going to do it seems natural this character seems like he would have gone to this place anyway with one of his stories and it just so happened that it fit in with doing an annual so it'd be interesting to see if he if Nisiesa views Imperium as a hero or a villain as well oh yeah or is yeah. he outside of that binary yeah all yeah. right so Scott where can people find you to talk about Empyrean um you can find me on Instagram or Twitter uh at Mr. Scott Free uh, I'm on some other social media platforms like like the new Twitter alternative Blue Sky. You can find me there. It's it's all scot free. So just find me, say hi. Uh, yeah, I'm around. All right, you can find us on Instagram at X Factor Files Podcast, 
Um, thank you, Scott, for being here, and we look forward to talking with you next time. Thank See you. For ya. Having me. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.